stream. We're very honored to have you this morning, and we bless you, and we believe God's got something really wonderful for you this morning. To our faithful, 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 faithful Elevate family, we miss you, we love you, and we want to let you know that we do, we, you are not forgotten, and we want to encourage you as well, and we want to say thank you. Your tithes and offerings during this time are very important, and so we honor you for that, and uh, again, people ask me where the giving link is. It's on the bottom of the on the bottom of the page, and we're getting a new website, so that's going to be kind of cool. So, um, yeah, that's going to be an exciting thing. Um, also, those of you that are watching us, we're coming at we're coming to you from Miami, so we want you to hit us up in the message bar and tell us where you're watching from. We want to encourage you with that, and also if you need prayer, um, send us a message. We do have a prayer team here that will pray for you and will intercede for you. Uh, as well. But we're doing a series called uh, Be Confident. Well, today's Be Confident, but we're doing a series called Become. And the idea is, is like all of these challenges that are happening in our world today, you can be a lot of things. You can be discouraged. You can be hopeless. You know, you can be uh, uh, negative. You can be uh, in despair. There's a lot of things that you can be, but we want you to be what Jesus wants you to be. And so in the midst of all of these challenges and all of these things that are going on, we're going to do a series that would call you to be something that's not, you know, there's a lot of negativity. Can we get a witness? Is there a lot of negativity going on right now? A lot of people are cynical. A lot of people are hopeful. A lot of people, some people are excited, but there's just definitely a lot of cynicism and there seems to be a lot of passive aggressiveness going on. Okay. So I was at Publix yesterday getting a key lime, key lime pie. And, uh, I happened to cut the line. I didn't know that the line went, it was one of the, it was one of the stores where they're actually practicing social distancing. So it was one of those where they're literally everybody standing on the little mark and everything. Well, I didn't know. I just thought that the line was, there was no line. And I stepped in the line and it was like, Hey, you know, it was like, I'm like, Oh, sorry. Tranquilo. There's no problem. I'm move on. I was like, Whoa, that was a little overwhelming. But so in uh, this time, there's a lot of stuff going on. What we want you to be is what the Bible says. And this today, we're going to talk about being confident, being confident. The Bible has a lot to say about confidence. The Bible has a lot to say about hope. The Bible has a lot to say about boldness. And so let me just start off by saying this. I want you to say it with me. Come on, you guys going to help me out. Say this. If I struggle with insecurity, it's because I'm human. That's right. We get down on ourselves and we get, then we get down on other people because we, you, every human being struggles with insecurity. Every human being struggles with inadequacy and every human being struggles with uncertainty. These are normal to our fallen human condition. So if you struggle with insecurity, you struggle with feelings of inadequacy, you're not alone. Everybody has it. We're all that way. I mean, we fight against it. And no matter how much you fight against it, you're always coming back to the place and realizing that it's still there. You still feel insecure. You still feel inadequate. You still don't feel up to the task. Some days you feel bold. Some days you feel courageous. But other days, you know, it's just not there. So I want to just encourage you with that this morning. And life, what life teaches us is that we don't have what it takes. This is one of the lessons of life. You don't have what it takes. I know it gets real quiet. This isn't a very victorious message, Kevin. It is a message of victory. God does not have, I always tell our church that God does not have confidence in you. He has none. What? But he has confidence in the spirit that he's placed within you. His confidence towards you. That's why when God calls you to something and we get overwhelmed and our typical response is that we try to do it. Okay, Jesus, you told me to do that. I'm going to try or we're going to do it or we retreat from it because what God calls us to is oftentimes greater than ourselves because that's what God does. He calls you beyond yourself. What you've got to understand if you're going to follow Jesus is he doesn't have any confidence in you. 
He doesn't. How do you know? Because he's told me so. And he told me that one of the things he told me, I was praying. I'm like, Lord, I don't know. I don't know. And he's like, Kevin, don't worry. I don't have any confidence in you. I'm like, what? He's like, but I have confidence in the spirit that has placed in you. And that actually, that statement lines up very perfectly with scripture. It's not, through, it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my, that's right. I can do all things, what? Through Christ, right? I can, in Christ, we are more than conquerors. So it's, it's an understanding that we need to come to grips with is that you don't have what it takes. Happy day. But Jesus does. Your strength is not in yourself. Your strength is in the Lord. And we are called by God to not look to ourselves. We are called to look to him. We're called to not draw from ourselves. We're called to draw from him. His strength is perfected where? Where? Come on. Where does his strength come from? My strength is perfected where? In your weakness. His strength is perfected in your weakness. And so it's an acknowledgement that I don't have what it takes, but you do. And so, Lord, I look to you. I draw from you. In you is everything. In your power, in your might. I don't have what it takes. I can't be patient. I, I don't, you know, I have a big task in front of me. I have, a, you know, uh, things that are facing me that are overwhelming for me, and I don't have it. There's nothing wrong with admitting that. Nothing wrong with it. In fact, you're actually wise to admit that. It's one of the ways God disciples us. He, doesn't, he does not minister or develop the arrogant. God resists the what? That's right. But he exalts the humble. The humble are the ones who don't know what it, they, have, they don't know what they have. They don't know they, they know they don't have what it takes. The arrogant are the ones who are going. I got this all figured out. I know what I'm doing. I mean, you may know what you're doing, but a great lesson for you, especially if you're following Jesus, is you know nothing. That's the greatest lesson you can ever come to. And you're like, wow, dude, you're really bringing it. This you're really like, like you know, you know nothing. God has no confidence in you. Woo hoo hoo. That's. But the point that I'm trying to bring you to is that your sufficiency is not in yourself. It's not. Jesus is El Shaddai, which means all-sufficient. He is capable for anything and everything. And guess what? You're not. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to free you a little bit. Because we put so much pressure on ourselves. We put so much condemnation on ourselves. We judge ourselves more harshly than we should. Because of our failures. We just need to, just need to look at it and go, hey, that's, a re- that's not a result of me being uh, a bad person or, not me, be- or me not uh, having, uh, being accepted or even being lovable or, or anything like that. It has nothing to do with my dysfunction. Your dysfunction is the same dysfunction every person has. Every person has it. Some are just better at masking it than others. But every person has insecurities. Every person has inadequacies. Every person doesn't believe they have what it takes. There's some level in your life where you don't. And life will prove it to you. Life will prove to you you don't have what it takes. Why don't you just say this with me? No life plan survives first contact with reality. You can have a great life plan. I've got a life plan. Encourage you, have a life plan, get a vision, get a direction for your life. But you need to be realized that that life plan is not going to survive first contact with reality. It just isn't. So that map that you just laid down, you're going to have to adapt it. You're going to have to change it. <laughs> so let's look at it. You go back to school, right? But I was like, COVID, I'm going back to school. I'm going to get my degree. Hey, go for it. Finish it. Go for it. Do it. If that's what you want to do, go for it. But then you get halfway into it and you start realizing, what am I doing? What have I just committed myself to? 
right? You're thinking, oh, it's going to go like this. It's going to happen like this. And then all of a sudden life happens and shows you something that you didn't plan on. Oh, I'll give you a better one. This is really going to come home for some of us. You get married. Got this plan. I'm going to get married. Woo. Happily ever after. It's going to look great. Yeah. Yeah. And halfway, maybe two years into the marriage, some people on their honeymoon, they're like, what have I done? <laughs> life happens. And life shows you that little plan that you had does not survive first contact with reality. People want to have, do you have kids? That's another one. Oh, we're going to have children. And I just see our children going to Harvard. I see our, I think our child is going to be a doctor. Our children are going to do something amazing. And then you have your kids and you're just praying, Lord, just help them get through high school. Just help them in the name of Jesus. <laughs> your prayer, t- yeah, I know, it's, it's a little painful. Your kids have destiny on their life. Your kids have calling. Make no mistake. But your plan for them is often not God's plan for them. And the plan that you have for your children and the plan that you often lay out for your children does not survive contact with reality. It forces you to change. So we need to look, we need to understand that we have inadequacies because we're fallen creatures. We have insecurities because we're fallen creatures. We were not created to be that way. However, we are. Why, why, where does it come from? I'll give it to you. Genesis chapter three. You're going to get a lot of Bible this morning. Yeah. All right. I used to give like 60 verses a week when I was early teaching. So I was like, I've toned that down, but yeah, right. It's like, you're going to get a whole chapter. We're giving you, but that's not going to happen, but you are going to get a lot of verses. So I hope you like the Bible because it's coming at you. Um, it says, then the eyes of them, then their eyes were open. So mankind and man and woman were created loving harmony, relationship, intimacy with God. They chose that they, they made a, a decision amongst themselves that they didn't need God. And it says, and when they made that decision and they crossed that line, the eye, their, their natural eyes were open and they realized they were naked. And they sewed fig, tree, fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the woman heard the Lord, the sound of the Lord, and walking in the garden. God used, to, God used to come down every evening and go for a walk with Adam and Eve. How cool is that? Eh? Just come down, just talking. Hey, what's going on? You know, just, just a, a conversation. So this was the time when God came down to, to walk with them. And it says, and the Lord calls out and says, Adam, where are you? Where are you? Right? And I just want to emphasize this point. Because I come from, when I early heard this stuff taught to me, someone would go, and the Lord God said, Adam, where are you? You, have, you, know, you, ever, you, ever, you know that tone that we oftentimes portray God? I would put it to you differently. You ever been in a department store, or you've been at the mall, or you've been at the fair, and your kid walks off? Have you ever been there? Right? My daughter used to have a habit of hiding in the clothes racks. Right? And Sherry and I, we would be like sweating on the inside. Our blood would run cold. Where is she? And we'd like, oh my gosh, what happened to her? Where's she at? Where's she at? And she'd always go underneath the clothes racks and like to hide. And she thought that was funny. Right? And then when you, you ever, you ever called for a kid that's walked away from you? You ever done that? That's what's going on here. This is what God's doing. He's realizing, he, I mean, did he know? Of course he knew, but he's, the reality of that's coming upon him. He's walking in the garden. Adam's not there. And it's not this idea of anger. It's this idea of loss. Where are you? You know, Mariah, where are you? Where are you, Mariah? Where are you? Mariah used to have a little, uh, a, a little friend. And Isabella, if you're watching, I'm talking about you. And she used to have a little girlfriend. And, and we, we, we'd always take Isabella to different places with us. And I, almost, I wanted to take Isabella and put a leash on her. Because this child loved to just walk off. 
And I'm talking like we're at like, I don't even know, Dade County Fair or something like that. And where are you? And, and little, little, she's over by the funnel cakes, you know. Crowds of people all around and, and Isabella's walked off. I mean, it's like that's kind of what's going on here is that Adam has walked off and the Lord is looking for him. And the Lord says, where are you? And then Adam answers. He says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. This is where fear enters human existence. Where does fear, where's the point of inception? Right here. I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. And everybody say this. Who told you that? That's right. That's what he said. Who told you that? Whose voice have you been listening to that is not mine? That's where fear comes from. Fear comes from listening to voices that are not our fathers. There is no love and there is no fear in love. Do we know this verse? Anybody know this verse? For perfect love does what? Casts out fear. Right? And you are perfectly loved in Christ Jesus. So when we experience fear, it's because we're listening to certain to voices. We're listening to circumstances. We're listening to things that are not the voice of our Father. Who told you you were naked? Mankind, man and woman, made a conscious decision. Our ancestor, happy day, decided to uh, separate from our Creator. And when they did, they began to hide themselves. Man became afraid. Man became separated. And he hid himself. He hid himself from himself. He tried to hide himself from God. He tried to hide himself from circumstances. This is not only where fear comes in. This is where inadequacy comes in. This is where insecurity comes in. You want to know where it comes from? It comes right here. This is where it comes from. Began to listen to voices that were not our fathers. He began to follow voices that were not our fathers. And that separation happened. It was an open choice to remove themselves from a loving relationship. They made a choice. No one made them. They made a choice. Oftentimes when fear is impacting our lives, we have to ask ourselves, whose voice and what, what voice am I choosing to believe? It's always a battle of that. It's always a battle. That's why it's called a fight of faith because circumstances are trying to get your attention. And so is the Lord. But the Lord is the God of the understated. He's not going to force himself on you. Circumstances force themselves on you, don't they? For, for circumstances just come at you. And, but we have a choice as Christians to either be governed by our circumstances or to be governed by faith. Faith is not easy, is it? It's not easy. That's why it says it's a fight. Everything in this world is trying to get you out of faith. Everything. Everything in this world is trying to get you to deny your faith. Everything in this world is trying to scream at you at, 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 about something that's not true. There's two realities. The, the world that we live in is the lower reality. This is the fallen reality. And there's a higher reality, and that's his world. There's no problems in his world. There's no storms in his world. There's no issues in his world. God's made promises to you. This is one of the reasons why Jesus came, is because mankind made an open decision to leave their their heavenly father. Why did Christ come? This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That's basically it. This is the sin of separation. There's a lot of sins. The Bible has actually it has qualifications of sins. This is not just the sin of separation. This is the sin of condemnation. What condemned men was their willingness to separate themselves from God. And in doing so, they isolated themselves and came under condemnation. This is what repentance looks like. Yes, I said the word repentance in church. I know it's shocking. Let me look at the camera. Repentance, right? I said the word sin too. Let me say that too. Sin, right? So it's the sin of separation. Mankind sinned. It meant put this word sin in this context is to push away. Adam and Eve pushed God away. They go, I don't want you, Dad. I don't need you. I don't need your rules. I don't need your ways. I can figure it out for myself. How's that work out? Anybody ever tried that? It doesn't work out very well. 
He pushed God away, separated himself from his, from, from his created family. And in doing so, he fell. It's actually one of the words for harmatia in the Greek is the hero has fallen. So like when you look at the Greek and you're studying the Greek and you're studying, like if you ever look at and, and try to do word studies in the scripture, one of the ways to do it is not just understand the Greek and its contacts, break out the verbs, but see how the ancient poets used it. Like Homer and Socrates, how did they use that word? What was that word? How were they using that word? And this word harimatia, which means to offend, which is one of the words that we have for sin. Harimatano means to miss the mark. Harimatia means to offend. There's two types of sin in the Bible. We don't ever talk about it. We got to get our theology of sin right. We don't understand what sin is. We don't understand what we're doing. You're a Christian. You're born again, but you sin, don't you? Don't you? Yeah, I got one witness in the back. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Right? You're a Christian, but you sin. That sin doesn't condemn you. you. There is therefore no condemnation to those who in Christ Jesus. What does it do? It, causes, it moves you off the mark. What mark? The mark of your purpose, the mark of your destiny. So the sin that condemns you is the rejection of God, pushing God away. That's why when you get saved, you have to return. That's the word repentance. The word repentance in the Hebrew means teshuva, and it means come back. So when you, when you separated yourself from God, man's sin is they pushed away from God. Separated. Jesus said, teshuva, return, come back. It's because you have all, we have, like, all we have sheep have gone astray, each one to our own way. What's that? The sin of separation. What's that? The sin of condemnation. The separation from God. And so we must return to God. That's why Christians come to Christ. We don't need, if you're born again, you don't need 15 altar calls. You don't need to come to, you don't need to, to, to get born again again. You're born again. That's what Jesus told Peter. Your feet, it's your body has been washed. Peter said, don't wash my feet, Lord, wash all of me. He said, you're already clean, but your feet need washing. In other words, you have, you have righteousness, Peter, but the places that you're walking in, hello, can I get a witness? That's what needs cleansing. The dirt that you've accumulated on your feet from the places that you've been going and the things that you've been doing, this is what needs the cleansing. And so there's a, we have to understand this because otherwise the enemy will wreak havoc on your life. Every time you sin, you're going to come under a condemnation that does not exist. Does not exist. Oh, you're, you're not saved anymore. God doesn't love you. Who told you that? Who told you that? You're born again. Just because you sinned doesn't mean, and you're born again Christian, it doesn't mean that you come under the condemnation. The sin of condemnation is the, is the sin of separation. And when you come to Christ, the sin of condemnation is removed. That's Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So we have churches that per, will preach, or the, the theology within the church, let me put it this way, often the teaching within the church is this, that you need to, you need to get born again all the time. No, you don't. Or we have this complete ignorance that says, when you came to Christ, all your sins were forgiven. Yes, that's true, but you still sin. So therefore, you have to confess your sin. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and do what? Cleanse you from the unrighteousness. Who was John talking to? He wasn't talking to unbelievers. He was talking to Christians, right? Beloved of the Father. So it's important that you understand what's going on here. This is the sin of condemnation. This is the sin of separation. That's what's happening. This is the sin that Jesus came to remove. Jesus came to remove the sin of separation. The Holy Spirit came to bring us into sanctification. That's the whole idea of bringing your life in alignment with the purpose and the calling that's on your life. That's why when you do, when you do sinful things, the Spirit of God nudges you. 
pushes on you. I was talking to a person. He said, I used to hang out with these people. I raised, raised in a Christian home. And I went off and tried to do these different things. And as I would get around these different groups of people that I wanted to belong to, something in me would tell me I don't belong here. He said, I never could fit with that group. I, I was different because he's born again. And so what's happening in him is the Holy Spirit is moving him away in sanctification. This is what's going on in our lives. We need to understand this. You're born again. That's the good news. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Right? Either that's true or it's not. There's therefore now, right now, no condemnation. You're not condemned. You're not condemned. The sins and the active choices in your life that you are operating with do not condemn you, but they cause you to miss the mark of your destiny and your purpose. Salvation is one thing. Destiny is an entire different thing. You have a destiny and a purpose in this world. God has created you on purpose with a, dest- uh, with a purpose, and you have a destiny. Being born again, I'm saved. But you also have a purpose and a destiny. That's the alignment that we do with our lives. We begin to align our lives with that and pursue that destiny. When we sin or we make conscious choices against God or ignorant choices against God, we move off the mark. The mark of what? The upward calling that's in Christ Jesus. That's what it's talking about. Are you guys getting this? I know it's strange because this isn't the way that it's presented. But this is what the Bible's saying. This is how the Bible is communicating. When man sinned, it uses that word harmatia, and it means the hero has fallen. Isn't that crazy? That's what the word means to offend, and it means the hero falls, which means God's created us to be heroic. You were cre- God created his man, man and woman to be heroic, and you're like, I knew it, man. I knew I was Iron Man. I knew it. <laughs> I always knew I was Batman. I just knew it. I knew, I knew, I knew it. You're created to be heroic. You're created for something heroic. Jesus came to give us the opportunity to be restored. 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through what? The resurrection from the dead. Christ crucified, paid the atonement. His resurrection meant paid in full. Price is paid. We're redeemed to what? We're called unto what? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept for you in heaven. What does this mean? Born again. Born of Adam. Adam sins. We're all born of Adam. We have to be born of Christ. When we're born again, we move away from the line of Adam. This is spiritual context. This is God's world, how he sees it. All those outside of Christ are still born according to the line of Adam and fallen. All those that come into Christ are born again. They become separated from an earthly bloodline, no longer born of corruptible seed, but born of incorruptible. And you are now adopted as sons and daughters. Happy day. Thank you. Happy day. Born again. You must be born again. You must be born again. All must be born again. Beautiful story. Side of, where, where, did, where, where did Eve come from? Anybody? Where did God create her from? Right, right. Create her out of the side, right? So I always tell the guys this. He didn't, create you, he didn't create her from your head so that she would rule over you. He didn't create her from your foot so that she would be under you. He created her from, her side, from, his, from the man's side so that she would be equal to him. Woman was always created in equality with God. And in the book of Genesis, prior to the fall, he addressed them both as Adam. They were both equal. So when God said Adam, he was talking to the two of them. Why? Because the two become one. You guys get the context of this? Starts harmonizing the language of the Bible. The Bible starts to come together. You're like, oh, wow, that makes sense. So, and when God opened the side of Adam, he created a woman. 
a woman now, a man who has a womb, a woman who now can give birth. Jesus on the cross did what? What happened to his side? So the first Adam, his side was open and woman and man, and man could now recreate, right? The last Adam hanging on the cross had his side pierced and out of his side flowed what? Blood and water, right? The, the, womb of, the womb of God was opened on the cross that man could be born again. All of this stuff is insanely significant. The piercing of the side wasn't an exercise. It was intentional. It was by design. Because Christ being the last Adam in the representative form, in the fullness of everything, now it's, it's symbolic that we can be born again. Born of born again of what? Exactly what the Bible says. Born of blood and born of water. What flowed from his side? Blood and water. Exactly as he said. So you're born again. You can be born again. You have to receive Christ in your heart. You surrender your life to Jesus. You don't try Jesus. So if somebody's told you to try Jesus, you don't try Jesus. You go all in. All in. Jesus isn't a try. He's not like the new Coke or, you know, something out there. Oh, I think I'll try this place or I'll try that place. Jesus is all in. All in. You go all in. You give your life to him and you come into complete surrender. That's the idea of repentance is that you give your life away. You return to him your life. You call Jesus Lord. You are no longer Lord of your life. He is. Because the sin of separation is because man thinks he's Lord. I don't need God. I'm my own God. Look around. Look at the world today. I think God's like this. I think God's like this. I think God's like this. I don't believe there is a God. That's, that's the context. Man believes he's God. Man is so blind in his arrogance that he actually believes he can define God. Is that crazy? This is how ignorant and arrogant we are. And we don't even see our own blindness. We don't even see how blind we are. That we actually think that we are so superior that we can tell God whether he exists or not. I mean, you imagine that. Did you, you imagine that? People go, I don't believe in God. And I go, well, go up on the building and jump. See if you believe in gravity. Gravity's, gravity exists whether you believe it or not. God exists whether you believe it or not. He is real and he is who he says he is. Jesus is God. He is the fullness of the Father. The divine perfection is in Christ. He is perfect theology. So it says this. So you'd be born again. And it says you have an inheritance kept in heaven. I just have to define this. Because this is again, I just want to blow all these Christian myths out of it. So, okay, there's a great reformation that happened with Martin Luther. I don't know if anybody knows this, what happened with Martin Luther. Martin Luther was raised as a Catholic monk, right? And so he was taught all of these things from Latin, and he was taught all these ordinances from the Catholic Church. And Martin Luther was super obedient to all of the ordinances that the Catholic Church had put upon him. Then he takes a pilgrimage, and he goes to Greece, or he goes somewhere, and he finds that what he does is he finds the Greek text. Particularly the book of Galatians was one of the things that revolutionized him. And he begins to read the Bible, not in Latin, not in the Catholic Church's translations and interpretations, but he get, begins to read the scripture in its original language. And he said, if this is the Bible, then everything I've ever read was a lie. And when he read that, it revolutionized him and it created the great reformation of the church. That's where the word reformation comes from, is the church was reformed, right? Back to its truth. There's a lot of... Things in our, in our world or in, in, our, in our time that's teachings that need to be fuller understood because it has to come out bigger. We have to pull the text apart in order to understand what's going on here. So often it says like this. You have an inheritance that's waiting for you in heaven. In the sweet by and by. You know, it's like as we go across the river, there's my inheritance. 
Oh, I'm going to get that. I know someday, brother, when I, when, I come into, when I come into heaven, oh, I'm going to get that inheritance. That's not the language of the scripture. It says you have an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade. And it says this. This is the, this is the language. Reserved, on reserve for you in heavenly places. In heavenly places. It doesn't say in heaven. It says in heavenly places. And when you understand that, there's other verses that say the same thing. All things that pertain to life and godliness are given to you, reserved for you in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. Heavenly places means your inheritance is in the spirit. That's what it means. It means you have access to an inheritance that's not of this world. You have access to an inheritance that's in the spirit. It's on reserve for you. You've got a bank account that's full of all kinds of things. But you're not getting there through natural means. You've got to access that inheritance through spirit, through the Holy Spirit. That's how, that's how, that's what this looks like. And so it's not, you don't have a, you have an inheritance that's active right now. Yes, you have an inheritance that's waiting for you. You have an eternity that's waiting for you. But you have access to a living inheritance that's right now. Right now. How do I get it? In the Spirit. You have to learn the Holy Spirit. You have to learn the Holy Spirit. You don't learn the Holy Spirit, you'll be a natural Christian most of your life. You have to learn the Spirit of God. So it's kept for you in heavenly places. Fear is a product of insecurity. What do we fear? We feel failure and we feel lack, fear lack of acceptance. So we want you to be confident. But in order to be confident, you've got to realize what's going on here. Where this stuff comes from. Lack of acceptance and fear. Your greatest success and the greatest acceptance you can ever have. If you receive Jesus and you give your life to Christ, that is the great, you have succeeded. You have just achieved the greatest success any human being can ever achieve. I don't care what you fail at. If you've given your life to Christ, you are a winner. You have absolutely succeeded. You go, but I'm a loser in life, but you're a winner in heaven. It's the good news of the kingdom. All the losers get a crown, right? Happy day. <laughs> All the losers get a crown, right on. If you win, you win. If you lose, you still win. It's kind of something like that. The greatest success any person can ever achieve. The greatest failure a person can have. That's why the Bible says you can achieve the heights of this world. But if you do not have Christ, you've lost it all. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Profits you nothing. 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 The greatest success anybody can have is to give their life to Christ. The greatest failure any human being can have is to deny Jesus. The greatest acceptance comes in Christ. Man, you're accepted. When you come into this acceptance, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks of you. Right? Ephesians says this, Blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us with heavenly, every blessing in heavenly places, just as He chose us before Him in the foundation of the world, that she would be without, before Him without blame and love. Those who are in Christ, the Lord looks at you and does have no blame upon you, and He sees you in love. And He has given you a predetermined destiny. What is that predetermined destiny? That you would be adopted. In other words, God had a plan. And He said, this is what the plan's going to look like. That when they come to Christ, when that sacrifice is made and that payment is given in full, all that receive Jesus, I will never look at them in blame again. Ever. No condemnation, right? This is as the waters of Noah to me, Isaiah says. For as, I, as, the, as the waters of Noah, this, the blood of Jesus is as the waters of Noah. So as I swore at Noah's time that I will never flood the earth, the blood of Jesus, this is what he's talking about. So I swear by this act, I will be angry with you no more. God's angry with me. Who told you that? Who told you that? God's not angry with you. Not now, not ever. He's disappointed in me. How can he be disappointed in you? He, 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 how, how can he possibly be disappointed in you? The Bible says you're accepted in the beloved. 
His desire is everything for you. And so you like when you sense this, that God is never disappointed in you. Ever. Ever. Sorry. I don't know who's telling you that. He's always, he loves you. The Bible doesn't tell you. If you're in Christ, there's no anger towards you. He's angry with you no more. Sinners in the hands of the angry God. Well, if you're outside of Christ, you're under judgment. Sin is judged. Man was never judged. Sin was judged. Important. Man was never judged. Sin was judged. God never put judgment on man. He put judgment on sin. And because man is under sin, therefore he is what? Under judgment. But when you come to Christ, you come out of that judgment and you come in to righteousness. It's a positional thing. The Bible says you're translated. The language of being born again is not just renewal, it's positional shifts. You are under judgment. You've been translated from what? Darkness to light. It's a position. God never judged man. There's no judgment on man. Never. He cursed the ground. He cursed the serpent. He judged sin. He didn't say, judged are you, Adam. Judged are you, Eve. He didn't say that. You're pre-adopted. Sons and daughters. Predetermined destiny. God has predetermined that when you receive Christ, you're not just going to be an outsider. You're not going to be treated as a servant. You're going to receive full inheritance as sons and daughters. He's chosen that. What kind of plan is that, right? You have an enemy, you have somebody who's run away, and you're going to come back. It's the whole message of the prodigal son. God has chosen that when we come to him, he will not treat us as servants. He will bring us back into our full position. He will adopt us as sons and daughters with full rights of inheritance on day one. Day one, you have full rights of inheritance. The moment you receive Christ, you are given adoption, and you are given full rights of inheritance. You may be completely ignorant to what that means. That's okay. That's what we grow in. But you are accepted in the beloved. This is his idea. So last week we talked about this, this word hypomeno, right? It's the word patience. And it's a Greek word, hypomeno. So we think patience. We're going to go into a lotus position. We're going to start doing Gregorian chants. Um, um, that's patience. That's not what the Bible uses the word for the word patience. It's the word hypomeno. And it means to move under pain. Well, that shifts patience all around, doesn't it? Hypomeno. Meno is movement or continuance, and, and pain is the hypo, under pain, moving under pain. And so there's a word here that says beloved, and it's agape meno, and it means the continuance of love. So when God says you are accepted and you are beloved, it is a love that continues. It is the continuance of love. He doesn't retract it. He doesn't take his love away from you. That's Romans, right? It's actually not just in the, the phrasing. It's in the word itself. It's an everlasting love. It's agape meno. This love that God has for us. Say this with me. Agape is love. And this love means to seek the highest good. This love that God's talking about. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. This is an intention. So God's love that he has for man is not an emotion. It's an intention. So the Bible says he sets his love on you. He determines to put his love on you. And agape means highest good. So he's determined. He looks at you and he says, I love you. My determination in your life is to bring you into the highest good you could ever possibly achieve. That's his intention. That's what we're supposed to partner with. We're supposed to partner with God's intention for our lives. Agape meno. And that love, that God will constantly be working on your behalf, constantly working in your favor, and he won't stop. 
not, he won't stop. Our blessing and our inheritance is in the Spirit, by the Spirit, and through the Spirit. So everything Jesus has for us is in the Spirit. Your inheritance is in the Spirit. Come to the school of the prophetic. You're going to see your inheritance. Never prophesied before? Start developing yourself in the prophetic. You're going to see it's right there. It's right there. Your inheritance is right there. It's part of your spiritual inheritance is prophecy. It's prophetic. There's many, there's many aspects of, the, of, the, of that inheritance, but that's one of them. Your flesh is weak. Your flesh is full of natural, is your natural existence. So your natural existence is full of fear. Can I get, anybody want to agree with that? Right? You have a good day, you have a bad day. You have a bold day, then you have three fear days. Right? You have days where you're like, woo, let's face the world. And then you have days where you're like, not again, it's morning again? Oh, no. <laughs> your natural existence is full of fear, full of insecurity, and full of inadequacy. But our spiritual existence is where our life comes from. Our spiritual existence is where boldness comes from. That's where our power comes from. That's in the spirit. We are God's covenant people. We worship God where? In the spirit. There it is. And we find our joy in Christ. So where does our joy, where does our our power worship is in the spirit. Our power comes from the spirit. Our joy comes from Jesus who has nothing but good things for us. And we have no confidence in the flesh that is our natural existence. So the Bible's telling you to not trust in earthly means. It doesn't mean you don't have abilities, but you're not to trust in those abilities. You're to trust in the Lord. Our faith is not in our portfolio. Our faith is not in our educational background. Our faith is not in our family lineage. Our faith is not in how good-looking we are, how athletic we are, all those things, whatever. Those things, you can, those things are, they matter, but they're insignificant. To, to, that's not where we put our faith in. We don't put our faith in those things. We put our confidence in the Spirit of God. And when you put your confidence in the Spirit of God, you trust the Spirit of God, He imparts a boldness to you. A boldness to you. You might know what I'm talking about. When you receive from the Lord, you become very bold. When you receive from the Lord, everything begins to shift and begins to happen. Romans says this. This is Paul. I know that in my flesh, which is my natural existence, nothing good comes from my flesh. (laughs) Oh, we love to live by the flesh. But in the end, nothing good comes. I thought that was a good idea, but no, I don't guess that wasn't. Courage and confidence is not, is not, say this with me, courage, confidence is not the absence of fear. It's the absence of self. Courage and confidence does not come from the absence of fear. Courage and confidence comes from the absence of self, right? This is, again, you can say this, like, so let's just look at courage. You, you do something courageous, and it doesn't mean that you were afraid. It's that you were, you, were more, you were more concerned about doing that or rescuing that person than you were about your own life. So where did that courage come from? That courage came from this rather than seeking to hold back your life. Same thing with confidence. Courage and confidence comes from the Lord, not because you're getting it from yourself. Courage doesn't come from you. Courage comes from Him. And when you receive from Jesus, you have to empty yourself. This is, again, a principle of worship. This is how the Spirit moves in our lives. Less of you, more of Him. The emptying of yourself. The, all of you releasing everything about you. Releasing and receiving. Lord, I have no, I have no ability. I have no adequacy. I have no, I'm full of fear. I just give my fear to you, Lord. I release my fear to you. And I receive, Lord. I receive confidence. Holy Spirit, fill me now with confidence. Holy Spirit, fill me now with boldness. Holy Spirit, fill me now with inheritance. And begin to allow that to happen. And you're going to see that it's real. And you're going to see how quickly the Holy Spirit comes. It doesn't happen for most believers because they never go there. Most Oh, just pray for me. Pray for me. What if you prayed for yourself? Lord, I release it to you. 
release all my anxiety to you. In the name of Jesus, I cast my cares upon you because you care for me. Holy Spirit, I receive your wisdom. I receive your strength. I receive your power and just begin to practice and learning how to do that. It's why we do that. In the, like we, I do it often here with you because it's part of your development. It's part of what God wants. It's what Jesus wants. It's what he wants. He wants people that are that way. Holy Spirit makes you beautiful. You want to be beautiful? Get in the spirit. You'll glow. <laughs> get in the spirit. You don't feel beautiful? Get in the spirit. You'll be like, woo, I feel so beautiful. You get in the spirit, you feel, you feel smart. You get in the spirit, you feel wise. You get in the spirit, you feel strong. Your strength comes from the spirit of God. You get in the spirit and you feel brave. The thing that you would run from, now you run to. You get in the spirit and you feel glorious. So how can we be confident in a world that everything is robbed, tries to rob us for? I'm just going to give you a couple quick things to take away. Number one, fill your heart with scripture. How can you be confident in a world that does everything to rob you from it? The world is trying to rob you from confidence. The world is trying to rob you from significance. The world is trying to rob you day by day. It's a constant thing. Constant thing. How do we, how can we be confident? Fill your heart with scripture. There's over a hundred verses in the Bible on boldness. A hundred verses. That's a pretty substantial amount of verses when it comes to being bold or we're being confident. Bible would put it in boldness, but it's the same thing. It's the certainty of confidence. It was the number one prayer of the early church. Do you know that? Their number one prayer was boldness. Because they quickly understood that what God had called them for and what God had presented them with was greater than their own lives. And they couldn't do it. And so they needed to be bold in order to do the things that God had put in front of them. They needed that courage. Number one prayer of the Holy Church was make us bold. Give us boldness. Yeah? Needs to be your prayer. God's intention for you is to be confident. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is what Scripture does. Scripture shifts the way that you think. Scripture teaches you. Listen, I just read an article. Uh, there was an article just posted recently, and it's talking about how the church is discipled by the evening news. That the majority of American Christians are no longer discipled by their Bibles, no longer even discipled by churches. They're discipled by the news. I know it's going to get quiet in here, but it's so true. If we count the hours that we're receiving from all of these media sources and we compare it to the amount of hours that we're receiving from spiritual sources, you'll quickly see <laughs> that Jesus is at, you're putting Jesus at a disadvantage. And I thought, wow, what an interesting article. It said the majority of American Christians today are more influenced by the evening news than they are by their own church. They're more influenced today than they are by the word of God. Our discipleship is coming through outside sources. We're learning and being trained by things that are not of God's heart. That's why it says, don't be conformed to the pattern thinking of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, you will understand the genuine and you will approve the will of God. You want to know the will of God? It's going to come from the scripture. You want to know what God wants you to do? It's going to come from the scripture. Holy Spirit has a language and it's called scripture. I just want the Holy Spirit to speak to me. It's one of the things that we teach in prophetic, one of the things we teach in fire starters. If you want to grow and you want to develop and you want to go to be able to see more and understand more, you have to learn the language of the Bible. You have to learn the language of the scripture. The Holy Spirit will never violate scripture. He will violate your understanding. This is important. And this is how, again, we think, well, if he's violating my understanding, then it can't be true. No, that's not right. That's not right at all. The Lord will never violate his word, but he will violate your understanding. 
He'll go outside of the box of your understanding and he will show you something that you, when you understand, it's, 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 um, it's scripture. I first had an encounter with inner healing. We do inner healing here at the church, but one of the times when I first started encountering inner healing, and I started doing it, and somebody was doing it with me, and I was like, wow, this is great. And I could tell that the Lord was on it, but I was going home, and, I, and it was completely outside of my framework. It was completely outside of the box of my understanding, but I knew God was in it. I'm like, Lord, if this is really you, you need to give me a v. I didn't get the word verse out, and I had Psalm, he restores my soul. And the Lord told me, what, what is this that's going on here, Kevin? What is it that's going on? It's the restoration of the soul. But it's so far outside of your context. So why you're being spun around in all these different circles, it's not because what's happening to you is outside of my word. It's because of what's happening to you is outside of your understanding. Lean not upon your what? Own understanding. It's what, just one of the things that handicaps us as believers is the way that we think. We try, to force the, we try to force the scripture into our manner of understanding. And if it doesn't line up with our thinking, we disqualify it. Well, who told you that? Who told you that? So we have to learn the scripture. Your word is a lamp into my feet and light into my path. Number two, you need to know who you are in Christ. This is huge. You can't ever do a message without talking about identity. Here it is. Romans 8. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You are beloved. Agape meno. You have a love that's always working towards your good. Constantly. God is after you. His love is for you, not against you. Begin to tap into that. Begin to position yourself for that. How do I do it? Worship, adoration, meditation, practicing the presence. Practicing the presence. That's what it means. Begin to just let the Lord begin to move over you. Begin to let Him change you. Begin to let Him just begin to practice the presence in the Spirit of God. This is what changes us. Holy Spirit is our gift. He is our gift. He leads us into truth. He's the one that transforms us. He's the one that our, our inheritance, Jesus says, comes from the Spirit. When the Spirit comes, He will take from what is mine and give it to you. So you say, I don't have what Jesus wants for me because you deny the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes from what is Jesus's and gives it to you. That's what He said. Jesus said, all that the Father has is mine. And when the Spirit of God comes, He will take from what is mine. What's that? Everything. And He'll make it known to you. You say, well, how do I know what Jesus wants? We need to begin to partner with the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, it's not going to happen. This isn't. First Thessalonians, the one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. God is always for you. God, this word calling is a Greek word, kaleo. Great word. You know what it means? It means a king summons. So when God puts, when God says, He has called you. When God looks at the unbeliever and he calls the world under repentance, it is the decree of a king. Do you understand that? That's what that word kaleo means. The king has summoned. And the, one who, the Lord says to his people, to his sons and daughters, I've called you kaleo. So when there's, when there's this word calling, anytime this word calling is presented in our lives, we just, we just flutter it. You know, like Jack Sparrow, we wave it as it passes us by. We just wave at it. But that word calling, anytime that word is used, it's used in relationship to the king calling you. That's a summons. The one who has summoned you to himself will be faithful to you. That's what the Bible says. Come on, that's good news. The one who has called you to himself, he says, I'll be faithful to you. I called you. You didn't beg to get in front of me. You didn't grovel to get in front of me. I called you. I allowed you to come. And 2 Timothy says, if we're faithless, he's faithful. He can't deny himself. That's good news too. <laughs> Even if you screw up and you completely blow it, or you just say, I don't want to do this anymore, God will still be faithful to you. 
He'll be faithful to you. People backslide. This is what the Bible says. They slide backwards. They follow Christ. And then they begin to make decisions in their lives. And they begin to move away from their faith. Slide away. Lots of reasons for that. The verse has this. It says, I'm married to the backslider. I'm married to you. I'll find, I'm here for you. I'm not leaving you. If you come back to me. God says, just because you slid away from me doesn't mean I slid away from you. Just because you denied me doesn't mean I denied you. So true. We could testify of that. His love, he has committed himself to you. He has devoted himself to you. Our devotion is shallow, but his devotion is eternal. He's eternally devoted to you. Eternally. Eternally. You can't screw it up if you tried. His love for you is everlasting. The reason things are screwed up in your life, the reason things are blown up in your life is not because God is doing anything to you. It's because of sinful people, sinful choices, sinful world, and sinful circumstances. God is not the author of any of that. Most Christians put themselves in a position through their own actions, through their own choices, and then they blame God. (laughs) Through a man's decisions, his life comes to calamity, but his heart rages against the Lord, Proverbs says. (laughs) Through your own actions... Your life goes kaboom. And then you go, you did this to me. Most of our choice, most of it is our own stupidity. Sometimes it just happens. It's just a sinful world. It's a sinful circumstance. Sometimes people are sinners, man. They do wrong things to you. But God doesn't do that. He's faithful to you. He's faithful. He will not deny himself. He cannot deny himself. Number three, Jesus makes all things new. Right? This is another thing to give you confidence. So your confidence comes from being filled, be filling your heart with scripture. Your confidence comes by your identity. And your confidence is going to come from the understanding that God makes all things new. There's two things that God can do. That There's many things. But these are two very specific things that God can do and no one else can. There is no natural ability to do these two very things that I'm going to tell you about. The first thing is bara. It's a Hebrew word called bara. And bara means to create something from nothing. Only God can do that. And he has that ability. He can take the nothingness. Let's just think about your life. He can take the nothingness of your life and he can make something out of it. That's his specialty. He loves that. It's the children of Israel. They weren't chosen because they were special. God even tells them, you think I chose you because you were special? There's actually a passage in scripture that says that. I chose you because you were the least of all people. I didn't choose you because you were the smartest. I didn't choose you because you were the best looking. I didn't choose you because you were the most athletic. I didn't choose you because you have a killer Instagram account. Wow. Jesus is like, I choose you. Look, you angels, get around here. Have you seen this Instagram account? We're choosing this. He says, I chose you because you're the least of all people. I choose you because you didn't even know how to post on Instagram. <laughs> and when you did, everything looked wonky and out of place. I could give me the wonky one. Give me the one that doesn't know how to get the light right. Yeah, we'll take that one. Every picture looks shot out. Yeah, bring that one. That's the one we want. He chooses us because we're the least of all people, not because we're the great. Why? Because that's how his glory is known. He takes nothing and turns it into something. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. The other thing he does is palingenesia. I love that word. I love that word. Anytime I can work palingenesia into a message, I work that word in because of what it means. It means the renewal of all things. Ah, don't you want everything to be new again? Don't you want it all to just get new? The renewal of all things. (laughs) 
Only God can do that. So God can take your nothing and turn it into something. God can take your shot out and turn it into something. He can renew it. The Bible says, I will restore to you the wasted years. Joel chapter 2. That needs to be somebody's confession today. Lord, restore to me the wasted years. Can I get a witness? How many people want some years of their life restored? Good God. (laughs) He'll do it. He'll do it. Your latter will be greater than your former. That's what he says. Only God can do that. Be confident. God can make all things do. He renews his goodness towards you every day. His mercy is new every morning. It's the Greek word charis. It's where we get the word charity and it's where we get the word cherish from. His cherishing of you is new every morning. He cherishes you from the rising of the sun until it's going down. He cherishes you. It's the word, the word charis is also the movement of spirit or the movement of the spirit in love. That's where the word charismata comes from. God's movement of love towards you is new every morning. Every morning. Charity means gift. We think charity like we're helping somebody who was helpless. It, actually, it's, its essence is gift. His gifts are new for you every morning. Every morning, God's got something for you. Right? Give me Christmas Day with Jesus every day. What do you got for me today? What are you saying, Lord? What are you doing? What is your, what is your gift for me today? What do you have for me today? Every morning. He's that good. He's that generous. He's that willing. We have to enter into this stuff. We have to begin to access this. I learned it long ago, and I'm not saying I got it figured out because I don't. That when I lack, it's because I'm not dropping the bucket. The Lord told me, you got a well, Kevin. Why are you down? You know how to access the Spirit. Begin to drop the bucket into the well. The water is always there. The reason that you're thirsty, the reason that you're dry, the reason that things are the way that they are is because you are not accessing what I have given you. Now, the reason that you have things the way that you are, if you're a believer, is because you have, you have failed to learn or failed to exercise the access that's been granted to you. It's true. Just begin to access the things that have been granted to you. It's going to come immediately. Begin to worship. Boom. Comes immediately. Begin to call on the Lord. Comes immediately. Begin to line up with the things that God has for your heart. You'll see. Because Jesus isn't finished with you yet. That's number four. This is another happy day moment. Be confident because God's not done with you. Happy day. Being confident of this, but the he that began the good work in you will carry. There it is. Be confident. Being confident that the one who began the good work will be faithful to complete it. What does that mean? It means to be patient with you. One of the things you can do with that is you can be patient with yourself and you can be patient with others. Let's just say this with me. It's going to put some healing in the room right now. Let's just say this. I choose. Come on. I choose to forgive myself. I have done the best that I could. Come on. I have done the best that I could in the circumstances I've been in with the tools that I have had. That does not mean that what I have done has been right. But it means I can understand why. And if I can understand why, I can forgive. Therefore, I choose to forgive myself. Right? Choose to forgive yourself, man. You did the best you could in the circumstances you're in with what you had available to you. It, really, that's the case. The circumstance, if you look at like what happened, it's, you, you were trying your best in that situation with what you had available. Doesn't mean what you did was right. Understanding is the foundation of forgiveness. Without understanding, there's no forgiveness. 
That's why you can't forgive people because you don't understand why they did that to you. You don't understand why that, why, why? I don't understand why. Why that happened. You have a hard time forgiving yourself because you don't understand why you did that. You don't understand why you keep doing that. That's a whole other message. Matthew 28, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus isn't done with you, man. He's not giving up on you. <laughs> you can try to push him away, but he'll, he'll be there. Every time you call, he comes immediately, no matter how many times. Jesus will always help you. This is number five. He will always help you. So, always, 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 and forever, he will help you. In the midst of your darkness, in the midst of your despair, if you will call upon the Lord, God will help you. He will. He will. The essence, again, is calling upon him. God is our refuge and strength and very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth gives way. (laughs) In a world today where it seems like the earth is giving way, (laughs) everything's falling apart, or it seems to be, feels like it. God is our refuge. God is our strength. He is our help in time of trouble. Romans 10 says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That word saved is the Greek word sozo. means saved, healed, and delivered. God will save you. He will heal you. He will heal your circumstance. He will heal your situation. He will heal your body. He will heal you. That's that word salvation. And he will deliver you. He will get you out of what you got yourself into. Oh, come on. (laughs) Anybody need Jesus to get them out of something that you got yourself into? (laughs) Lord, get me out of what I got myself into. Call upon the Lord and he'll save you. One of the greatest fears and insecurities that humans deal with, we're going to close right here. And I just want to share with people that are at home and people that are watching us by live stream. Again, we're very honored. We're very blessed that you've watched. That I know that people that watched and people that listen to this, that you're not, you've never given your life to Jesus. And so it's with great honor that I am able to share this with you. One of your greatest fears of all people is the fear of death. The fear of the unknown, not knowing what's going to happen. Even people who deny death, when it comes up to the hour of death, they begin to panic. It's easy to deny death when you're 20 years old and you're strong. But as your life begins to fade or someone, some circumstance comes upon you and death becomes eminent and death is at the door, the fear of that comes upon you. It's the fear of the unknown. People who die today didn't think they're going to die yesterday. People that are going to die later today, every single person, there's deaths by the hour, on the hour. Nobody gets out of this thing alive. We're all going to die. The Bible says it's appointed for us to die once and then to face judgment, which is examination. When we die, we come under examination. God will put us under examination. For what? Did you receive Christ? That's the exam. Your final exam unto eternity is did you receive Christ? You're an eternal being. You're going to live forever. You don't just go to the dirt and stop. That's not how it works. Your spirit will live on. And you, will be, and you are eternally lost. Without Christ, you're eternally lost. But I, want to just, I just want to share with you that everything can change today. And you can be confident, because that's the name of this message. You can be confident that if you die, you will live forever. If you die, you'll be granted access into heaven. Not because you're such a good person, but because you received the offer that Christ has paid for you. And the offer that God has done for you. And there is no greater need in your life than this. No human need is greater than this one. All must be born again. This is why God so loved the world. God so agape. God so sought the highest good of all of the world that he gave his son. 
The highest need of all mankind is restoration and forgiveness of sin and repositioning. And the only one that can do it for you is Jesus. This isn't about understanding. People oftentimes tell me I hear it a lot. I don't understand it. You don't need to understand it. You need to believe it. The Bible doesn't tell you to understand it. It tells you to believe it. Understanding comes later. You put faith in something that you cannot understand. And it's a willingness to surrender to what is true. So you're lost without Jesus. You need to be born again. And you can do it right now. And we're going to pray. And so if you're watching it, I know you want to turn it off. Oh, no, I'll do it later. No, the Bible says do it today. Today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. Don't be rebellious. Do it today. God is calling you. So we're going to pray. And all you got to do is pray with us. Pray the words that I'm praying. Just pray the words that I'm praying. It's a prayerful invitation. And when you pray the prayerful invitation, the Lord will respond to you. We're going to pray it here together as a church. This is how we do it. We want to pray it with those of you who are watching us. And so let's just pray. Say it with me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. I don't understand this, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. If you did that, we're so honored. We bless you. We honor you. Comment, amen. Comment, amen. Yes. We want to bless you and honor you. So we're going to pray one more time. We're going to close the stream, and then we're going to move on to the next service. We just want to bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. God is the Lord.